0: Hi Hello, hi everyone. thanks for joining us. um I was booked in to do this event in I think may. I've slightly lost track of uh I usually know what day of the week it is, but very rarely what month of the year it is so yes, let's say it was originally May, and now here we are in june um and uh And when Stephanie asked me if I would uh, shift to this date, she said the kind of theme of the night that we want to talk about is creativity in crisis because at the time that they were moving the event, I guess, we all kind of felt like we were in crisis. I'm sure a lot of us still feel like we're in crisis. Um, And I thought a lot about uh, what I wanted to talk to you about tonight. Um, And then I realized that I had missed the most obvious thing, which was that all creativity is crisis, bear with me. Um, because in ancient Greek, which is where I spend a reasonable amount of my time, truthfully, um, the word crisis means uh, pulling apart or separating. It's the, the same ending, crisis, spelled the same way but with a, a kappa K at the start. Um, and, uh, and from that meaning, that original meaning of separating or pulling apart, it comes to mean a choosing, a deciding. and I would argue, do argue, that all creativity is an act of making a decision. It's a question of, um, of deciding what to leave out and deciding what to include. So it's always an act of separating. It is always, in Greek terms, a crisis. Um, and I guess the best example I could give you from my own book, my process of writing it, um, for that. Actually, I'm gonna give you one of each, what to include and what to miss out, I suppose um to illustrate that that choosing is both uh, always and automatically um but the book a thousand ships begins oh which is now a paperback they arrived today about two hours ago so look how shiny it is i'm still excited by the foil um, but uh the book begins um in the middle of the story because uh i thought that i should start the story of my version of the trojan war with the trojan horse because i felt like most people probably know bit about the horse. If you don't, then I'm about to spoil a really good story for you and I'm sorry for that, Um, in which uh, the Greeks pretend to sail away from Troy. In fact, they hide behind a a rock on the island of Tenedos nearby um, and they leave behind a horse um, in which there are heavily armed men um, and the Trojans believe it to be a sacrificial offering. They are tricked, as we can find out in book two of Virgil's Aeneid, which is obviously the one I pilfered for the first chapter of my book. they believe that it's an offering to the god that they need to take it into their city and put it on the citadel the most heavily fortified bit of their city um, and that will uh bring the greeks bad luck and then good luck which is what they're aiming for after a decade of war and of course it is a trick once the horse is inside the city um, and, and everyone is asleep the men inside the armed men inside are let out i'm not telling you by who because i don't want to spoil the next chapter um and, uh, and they can begin to to ravage the city to set it on fire which is how you sack a city in the ancient world um and so i wanted to begin uh, because it's a story which is pretty complicated when i sold this book to my publishers um it was part of a two-book deal um and i'd already written the children of jocasta my version of the oedipus story which was the first book uh, that that was in that two book deal. And they said, can you give us a page on what the next book is gonna be? And I was like, yeah, sure. Um, here's the thing, it's gonna be the story of the Trojan War, and it's gonna tell the story of the causation of the war, which is almost entirely caused by goddesses rather than by male gods. And it's gonna tell the consequences of the war, which are of necessity felt in the largest part by women, because they're the ones who are often alive at the end of a war to be trafficked, enslaved, um, and so on. Um, and so it's going to go forwards in time and backwards in time and it's going to change perspective so that it's a different woman telling because I want it to be an epic. I want to write the story of the Trojan War as an epic story of women told from the focal point of women and and by a woman to that's what I want to do and they to be fair to them went all right (laughs) carry on and so I knew it was a complicated story and I knew that changing voice and perspective every chapter would be a bit disorienting for the reader at first there are some recurring characters the trojan women whose story is the sort of spine the present tense of the book i suppose um and uh penelope uh, the wife of odysseus who's waiting for him to come home who tells the story of the odyssey in letters that she writes to him an idea i stole from of its heroides because uh, i'm no fool still from the best um and so i, I knew it would be a bit it would be a bit disorienting at first. And so I wanted you to have something, the reader to have something that they could really cling onto. And in that first long chapter, the story of the Trojan war, um, the Trojan horse and the fall of the city is told by Creusa. Um, and she is somebody whose uh, sort of omission mission almost had been bothering me since I was 16. Book two of Virgil's Aeneid was my GCSE set text. And in it, Aeneas, who is the prince of Troy, spoiler, 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 escapes the city as it's on fire with his father and his son. Um, he carries his old dad on his back and he's got his son with him. Um, and he sets off to found a new Troy. Spoiler again, it'll turn out to be Rome. Uh, well, technically I'll be longer, but let's not get into details. And he has his wife Creusa with him sort of when he leaves their house. And then somewhere along the way, he loses track of her and doesn't notice because the city's on fire and the smoke everywhere. And, um, and then he goes back to look for her in Virgil's Aeneid. And she basically appears to him as a ghost just in order to say, don't worry about me, go and have a lovely time, have a good adventure, meet someone new. And even at 16, I read that going, oh, come on, come on. That's not okay, that's not enough. That's not a fully rounded female character. Luckily, I got Aeneid four for A-Level, which is the story of Dido and Aeneas. And Dido is the most extraordinarily beautifully drawn um, woman in almost all of art, I would argue. Certainly right up there. Um, so I knew he could do it. <laughs> Just at 16, I was like, this is simply not good enough. And I was determined to let creusa have her voice. Um, I didn't want her to be one of those kind of Hollywood wives who just exists in films of the 90s, films of my childhood, essentially the films I was watching while I was studying this um, during school days, I guess, those Hollywood characters who just exist to go, good luck, be careful to men who go off and have adventures, no, that's not okay, what happened to creation, and that's where I wanted to begin my story, so it was exactly a crisis it was a choosing to look at a story which already existed and say what's missing from that story what was missed out of that story and the answer is her perspective the woman's perspective is simply gone we're so focused on aeneas and his hero's journey it's his poem after all it's named after him that we sort of forget that she is a person not just a name, not just a relationship that he used to have before book four happens and you have a big romance with Dido. And I considered that, let's say, unacceptable and wanted to, to make it right and give her her voice. And this book is full of women whose stories I felt had been not told or undertold. Um, the story of the great Amazon warrior who fights for the Trojans, Penthesilea, uh, the Amazon warrior queen who turns up at Troy. And the, there are some versions of the Iliad um, a poem which ends with the Trojans, I'm really spoiling everything for you, I'm so sorry, with the Trojans burying their great hero, Hector. Um, And there are some versions of the Iliad, at least two versions that we know about from um, ancient commentaries written on the Iliad, that end with the line, and so the Trojans buried Hector, and then came an Amazon. The daughter of great-hearted Ares and that version of the Iliad and one a bit like it and then came an Amazon the daughter of Atreira I think um, beautiful graceful Penthesilea. those versions have simply been lost those those versions of that text have been lost the story of, of Penthesilea was told in a poem called the Ethiopis, uh, which also tells the story of Memnon the great Ethiopian hero who fought at Troy um, that's lost, we only have tiny fragments of it. And so some of these stories just needed telling because we have been unlucky and the story had been lost. The poem or the play in which their story was told doesn't survive to us. That's true of the vast majority of ancient literature, about 97 to 99% of Latin and Greek literature has been lost to us, just to give you an idea of what we're up against. So sometimes the poem had been lost, but sometimes the poem was right there, the Aeneid, and, and the female character was just missing in a way I found, let us say, unacceptable. And so this brings you to uh, the fact that I told a very slight lie earlier, which was to say this is the first chapter. The Trojan horse is the first chapter of my book. It's technically the second. There's a little mini one-page chapter at the very start, um, which is named for Calliope. Calliope is the muse of epic poetry. Uh, She's one of the nine muses who dwells on Mount Helicon. And if you want to write an epic poem or an epic book, you'd better appeal to Calliope because otherwise she's not gonna allow you to write it. And she is hiding in plain sight. I think, in the first line of both the Iliad and the Odyssey, the two great epic poems that we attribute to Homer, um, which formed the very basis of my book of A Thousand Ships. And the first line of, uh, of the Odyssey uh, begins in Emily Wilson's brilliant translation, Tell Me Muse About a Complicated Man. Musa, muse is the word in Greek. The first line of the Iliad is, "Men and aeada thea perliadio achilleos. Um, sing, goddess, of the wrath of Achilles, son of Peleus. And I had to write essays as a, as a kid saying that, you know, the, the first line of the Iliad tells us that it's all about Achilles, right? Because um, his rage, Menin is the first word of the poem, destructive wrath is the first word of the poem. And then here's the, the, the last word of that opening line, mernon to Achilleus, it's the wrath of Achilles. So he stands astride this opening line and there's no room for anyone else in there, except he's not the first person mentioned in the Iliad, the first person mentioned is Thea, the goddess. Homer doesn't name her any more than he names the Musa, muse, in the first line of the Odyssey, but I'm pretty sure it's Calliope, most people assume that it's Calliope, because she is the relevant muse for epic poetry. If you're going to compose a 24 book poem, you know, spanning monsters and gods and adventures and battles, you need that muse on your side. And so in the first chapter, little mini chapter, um, of ships, I had the poet, a blind poet, Um, some there's a a suggestion, a tradition, that Homer may or may not have been blind. We don't know anything about Homer for real, really. Um, Even how many people he was. Um, And uh, and so there's a blind poet in my first chapter who's asking the muse for her assistance. And she is deciding whether or not she's in the mood to help him out because she's a bit annoyed because he doesn't say please. and when the notes came back on this uh the first draft of a thousand ships my editor perfectly reasonably i should add said i think you might have to tell people that it's homer in the first chapter because they might not realize that it's supposed to be him this blind man who's asking for help with an epic poem they people might not realize that it's supposed to be homer and i said you know what the people who who kind of want to know will know and if you don't it doesn't matter but i am absolutely not naming him and this is why because what i want to do is the exact same thing the exact mirror image of what Homer did, not that I've being grandiose with my ambitions or anything. I want to do the exact same thing that Homer did in the first line of the Iliad and the Odyssey. He knows that the muse is important. He names the you know the importance of her by describing her, but he doesn't give us her name. And I said, That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna say Homer is central to my story. I'm not gonna tell you who it is because he's not important, because he is a man, and this book is all about women. Um I've done twelve minutes oh, and fifteen seconds, I never overrun. Um thank you. so much um thank you for supporting 5515 during this difficult time um and please enjoy everybody else it's been my absolute pleasure to be here i hope i'll see you again in real life or over the internet either one